thanks, Lisa, and thanks, Lee, for those readings. Uh, it is good to be with you today. My name's Luke. If I haven't met you, I would love to meet with you afterwards or at our house next week. Um, let us know if you're keen to come along after church for a welcome lunch. Uh, we are a few weeks into this series where we're thinking about what it is we are doing, what on earth we are doing, uh, and I thought we'd just do a bit of a recap of what we looked at last week. Uh, we're thinking about this business of making disciples, uh, Jesus' great commission uh, to make disciples, and we started last week thinking, why do we want to make more and more disciples of Jesus Christ? And we, we kind of distilled things down as we looked at a number of passages, and we put it this way, because God's goal for the whole world and the whole of human history is to glorify his beloved son in the midst of the people he has rescued and transformed. That is that where history is moving, God is moving people out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son towards the redeemed people gathered around the risen Christ. That's the trajectory of history. And so that was the question we were asking last week. Why do we make disciples other than the fact that Jesus called his followers to? Uh, we, we, we said that because that's what God is doing throughout history. It doesn't always look like that's what God is doing, but that's what God is doing. He's moving people out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son and towards his redeemed, gathered community around the risen Christ. Now, today, we're thinking about the next logical question, which is possibly your first logical question. What, then, is a disciple? <laughs> a common enough word? What is a disciple? A disciple, a common enough word. People use it, though, like a lot of words, in a variety of different ways. Sometimes we might refer to discipleship as kind of like the second stage after you become a Christian. You then go and do this thing called discipleship. So there's kind of like evangelism and then discipleship. Uh, sometimes we refer to discipling more as that one-to-one -one kind of mentoring relationship uh, you have with somebody. So we're thinking when Jesus says to his followers there at the end of Matthew's gospel, go and make disciples of all nations, what is he talking about? Who's he referring to? What's he referring to when he talks about being a disciple? Well, the word disciple uh, is a fairly straightforward word to translate. Uh, from our English, in our English Bibles, the word disciple is, is just a word that means learner, right? So a learner uh, or a student. Uh, and even though there is no kind of English word for learnership, <laughs> uh, that's kind of what discipleship is. Discipleship is learnership. But when Jesus talks about being his disciple or a learner of him, he's actually talking about something a bit broader, a different kind of learning than we're often uh, used to thinking about. So we might think about learning, uh, maybe we think about learning a body of knowledge, so we could learn mathematics, we can learn history or something like that. Sometimes we can learn, think about learning as uh, learning a particular skill, you know, like learning cooking or art or playing a musical instrument or learning a sport. But a disciple is not just a, a learner. A disciple is a learner in a direct, uh, holistic relationship with a teacher. Uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, in verse 40, he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. 
So a disciple is a learner in, in direct relationship to their teacher, whose teachings and way of life they seek to learn and adopt and imitate. Now, I think possibly the most striking example of modern-day disciples are a kind of person known as a Swifty. Has anyone heard of a Swifty? Okay, that's all the... Uh, it's Taylor Swift people, right? Now, there are people who, who might... Uh, a Swifty is someone who doesn't just enjoy Taylor Swift's music, Maybe not someone who just knows her songs by heart. These are people who are devoted to the person, Taylor Swift. They'll almost do anything to follow her, to see her live. And it's quite scary, some of the comments that are written sometimes on the social media when people say, you have literally changed my life, you know? Or, if I don't get tickets, I don't know what I will do, or whatever it is. There's a kind of, that's a kind of... That's a kind of discipleship framework there. It's probably the closest thing to a modern-day discipleship movement. Now, of course, there is nothing wrong with enjoying an artist's music and thankful to God for the enjoyment of their music and their performances and all that kind of thing, but it is really kind of next level when following an artist or a person is what gives life, life hope or purpose or meaning because we know only Jesus can do that. But interestingly enough, the parallels with somebody like Taylor Swift are worth learning from, because a disciple of Jesus is also not just about learning a body of knowledge or even a skill set. A disciple of Jesus, like a disciple of Taylor Swift, is about being a learner of a person, their whole being, their teaching, their values, their whole way of life. Now, the idea, I think, that means of a disciple is probably closer to the traditional idea of an apprentice. So, in the past, uh, you would talk about uh, an apprentice. You're not just talking about, even though we use the word a bit differently today, but a, a, an apprentice, uh, we don't just talk about being an apprentice in a particular knowledge area or skill set. We'll talk about an apprentice and a master. So, it's a relationship, an apprenticeship of someone. So, a disciple... Uh, for their disciple, it normally lear involves learning content, behaviours, and significantly, it involves learning a person. And it's no coincidence uh, that when you look at the language uh, of being a follower of Jesus, it's closely parallel to the language of being a disciple of Jesus. And that's because that's what disciples would do. They would literally follow their teachers around learning from their teacher, their teaching, their verbal instruction, but also watching their behaviour, imitating their example. Now, today we talk about our followers of Jesus or disciples of Jesus, as that's what Christians are. We might say a Christian is a follower of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus. But interestingly enough, when you uh, get past the book of Acts in the New Testament, the language of being a disciple of Jesus, and often the, the follower of Jesus, it drops off almost entirely after the book of Acts for the rest of the New Testament. I've often wondered, why is this? Well, as I've been thinking about it, as I've been preparing these, uh, these, these parts of uh, the teaching here, we've seen the New Testament was written with, for people who lived in living memory of Jesus when he walked around physically on earth. And so to be a disciple of Jesus would have meant literally walking around learning from Jesus. And so to continue to use the word to be a disciple of Jesus. If Paul was to keep using that in his letters, 
perhaps for the original readers, it might make it a bit blurred <laughs> that Jesus had actually ascended. To, he had left the world physically. And if you were to sort of say, okay, well, you've got to be a disciple of Jesus, you can imagine some people, okay, what boat do I get on? Where do I go? Is he still around? And so when you read the New Testament, you might notice that the word disciple drops off after you finish reading the Gospels. But when you read the New Testament closely, you see that the word, that a closely related verb form is there as well that's sometimes masked with our English. The word learning is very close to the word disciple. And we see that in that second reading from Colossians. Hear this from Colossians chapter 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven, sorry, Colossians chapter 1 verse 5, that you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it, which is that disciple word, from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Now, when we break this ver these verses down, I think we can see at least three components of being a disciple of Jesus. Uh, first of all, we can see who the apprentice's master is very clearly in this verse. In verse 7, you learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. You see the connection between the learning language connected to Epaphras, but interestingly, Epaphras here is not the actual master in the master-apprentice relationship. We see that it's very clearly put, Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ. Now, we've got that established. That the, 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 We see here that the learner is not the learner so much ultimately of Epaphras, but the learner is the apprentice of Christ. But here, I think, is where we sometimes can come a little bit unstuck when it comes to being a disciple here at St. Mark's. In a church like ours, I think... Uh, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, there can be one of two preferences or tendencies, whether it's related to your personality type, your history, or whatever it is, and we probably drift towards having one, one of each, one of either of these, and I, as I'm explaining what they are, have a think about which one you might lean towards more, and as we're going to see, you've got to hold them both together. Uh, there are those who, uh, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, are content cravers. And there are those who becoming a disciple of Jesus are transformation cravers. That is, there'll be some here whose preference uh, will be they, to be a disciple of Jesus is someone who is always seeking to know and understand the Bible more. Uh, they might want to know how it all fits together, what all the books are about, who all the different people are. Perhaps you might think to be a real mature Christian at this church, I really need to know every book of the Bible. I need to know every. I need to know about Reformation church history. I need to be able to use theological words, big words, and maybe uh, you're you're kind of thinking, I really, you're kind of when you come to church or in your home group or in your private life, you're kind of thinking, I just want to know the Bible more. I want to be able to quote it more. I want to sound like I know what I'm talking about. And then, perhaps then, when I ask the question, or when Anne at the end of the service, or whoever the service leader asks the question, what's your next step, which we've been doing for a lot, well, maybe your eyes glaze over because, well, I'm just interested in content, right? I'm not really interested in my next step. Then there are the other people who might have the tendency to be a disciple of Jesus. It's all about having a transformed life. 
So you crave to see more changes in your own lives and the lives of others. Now, the content-preferring disciple, might their eyes might glaze over when we're asking what's your next step. But the uh, life-transformation-preferring disciple, if that makes sense, your eyes might glaze over during the sermon, like right now, right? <laughs> you think, okay, yeah, I get yeah, I don't need to know another verse of the Bible. I'll just get, get to what, how does it make a difference to my life? How's it going to help me, right? Come on, hurry up, you know? There's two tendencies, right? But we see in Colossians, in these verses, that they've got to be held together. The content that is learnt, the word of truth, the gospel, you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. That is, the Colossians have received a message, and it doesn't seem like it was just a one-off message, it was a word of truth, and it was brought to them by people like Epaphras, teaching, passing it on. It was some content... And we see that it's mind, that content is mined and explored in the verses that follow. But we also see that the word of truth, when heard and understood, bears fruit and grows. So there's that transformative learning, faith and love. It's, you've heard the word has resulted in faith and love, bearing fruit and growing. All over the world, this gospel, this content, is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing amongst you since the day you heard it understood it, that's your head, God's grace in all its truth. So we as a disciple, as we, we seek to learn Christ, we're people on about content and transformation. And it is wise, I think, for us just to be self-aware, we will have a preference towards one. We kind of get energised by one and maybe resist the other. And it will be different for different people and both of them are valid, but we need to hold them together. We must never just be obsessed with content and just guard ourselves from any life transformation. And nor should we be obsessed with life transformation that doesn't come clearly from the challenge that the Word of God provides us. Both are held together. So, next question we're going to ask today, this is a bit of a different sermon as this whole series is, is, is being a disciple... Now, it'd be good to ask this question. Is being a disciple of Jesus easy or costly? Like, if, I was to, if you were to see first reactions when you hear that... Is being a disciple of Jesus easy or costly? And again, when you're trying to hold the content of the gospel with the life transformation, it can sometimes be thought of as an easy thing and sometimes be a, a, a more costly thing. And interestingly, Jesus talks again about both. He talks about this, he speaks about what it means to be one of his disciples. On the one hand, he says... The ease, there is an ease and a light burden. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, this is one of my favourite verses we all feel weary and burdened at times sometimes we feel that all the time and sometimes more acutely at other times and jesus speaks straight into this space doesn't he but what i find it fascinating about jesus words here is isn't simply that he calls people just to come to him and collapse on him and you'll find rest in him he could have said something like that but he doesn't he says you'll find rest by learning from Jesus by yoking yourself to him. The yoke is a metaphor of service 
uh, and submission and obedience. It's kind of like oxen accepting the authority of another. They're all yoked together to plough in the service of their owner. And Jesus says, you will find rest for yourself when you yoke yourself to him as a learner, as a disciple, as apprentice. And yet, why does it not always feel as easy as it seems to be written here? Why does the burden feel heavy and it doesn't feel easy? I think that's because being a disciple is paradoxically, perhaps, also costly. If you're to think about the two uh, passages, if you think about the verse, if we can go back just a couple of slides to the verse from Matthew 11... Just the one before. Yep, that's what. That, uh, yep, that's the one. If you look at that verse, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. And which would you prefer to put on your fridge? That verse or two verses? Okay, let's skip through now. This one. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I think we know where we, which one of those two we gravitate towards, right? It's very stark language, isn't it? Hating our family, our life, it seems very extreme, doesn't it? What is Jesus saying here? Well, we do know from Jesus' other teachings that he calls his disciples to love not just our neighbours but even our enemies. So no matter how bad our relationship is with our family, we are still called to love them. He upholds the the commandments to honour our father and mother. So we know that Jesus can't be uh, advocating a community of hate. I think what Jesus is doing is showing his disciples just how radical the kind of apprenticeship he is calling them to do. If you have a think about this, if you put yourself in the, the shoes of a first disciple of Jesus, listening, following Jesus around, if they were to literally follow Jesus throughout Jesus' earthly life, hang around with Jesus, not leave his side, where would they find themselves? They'd find themselves, of course, before Pontius Pilate. They'd find themselves walking up uh, a road to a Roman cross. They'd find themselves being beaten. If they were following Jesus, they'd find themselves being abandoned by their whole family, everyone close to them. So to be one of Jesus' disciples the same time costs us nothing and it costs us everything at all. So it's right, I think, for us as we think about what is a disciple. Is it worth it? That's a good question for us to ask. You think the thing is with learning Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus, is that it is different to other types of learning. And even if you take the Taylor Swift example, the amount of money that has been pumped into the Australian economy for people who have left everything almost to go to a Taylor Swift concert. It's quite amazing for for a few nights of fun. Now, some things that we learn, if you think about the other things we learn, if we say, okay, right, this summer holidays, I'm going to learn guitar, I'm going to learn to cook, I'm going to learn the rules of a board game. That kind of learning can kind of be, (coughs) excuse me, blank page learning. That is, you come to (coughs) what it is you're learning, maybe with a is someone able to just get a little glass of water? Otherwise, I'm just going to be copying off you. Um, <coughs> it's kind of blank page kind of learning where you, you come 
you say, well, I don't know guitar, I'm going to learn, and, and, or I'm gonna, I don't know how to do cooking, and I'm going to learn, and whatever. That's blank slate kind of learning. With Jesus, to be one of Jesus' disciples, it actually involves unlearning heaps and heaps and heaps of things. Not just learning something, but unlearning. So has anyone heard of the, the phenomenon of basball in cricket? Yeah? Jim, I knew it was good. Okay, no one else. Okay. You could, I'll try to explain it, and Jim will probably explain it better than me. But basball is the, the, the style of playing cricket that the, one of their recent coaches brought in, uh, which is saying all that basically it's a very aggressive style of uh, basically slogging from ball one. And if you get out, it doesn't matter. There's always... Thank you very, very much. With basketball, you're kind of hitting it, and you, it's, it's changed the way England have played their game. They're a very aggressive kind of cricket. And I was following uh, some of the commentary recently about uh, one of the great English batsmen, Joe Root, who was struggling to adapt to this new way of playing. And they were saying he's, he's not getting the runs that he should be getting because he has to unlearn his natural way of playing cricket. And they're kind of saying, oh, well, you know, why doesn't he just play the way his natural game is? So it, being a disciple of Jesus actually involves unlearning a whole bunch of things. We unlearn a very tightly held habits. And so when we do come to Jesus, while the yoke is easy and Jesus' burden is light, our attachment to the things that we are called to unlearn can feel very, very heavy. Very, very heavy at times. Now, I didn't attend, uh, for obvious reasons, the Women's Evening of Stories last night. <laughs> Hopefully that's obvious. Uh, but chatting with Vic, uh, she was talking about how encouraged she was. There were so many examples of stories where women at St Mark's have found their rest uh, by coming to Jesus. And in a way, we see that yoking yourself to Jesus, learning from Jesus, even if that involves very tiring, heavy unlearning of a whole bunch of attachments that we have in our lives, a whole bunch of things that have been weighing us down. Next week, we will be learning about uh, looking at what a disciple of Jesus, how they're made, how that happens. But before we finish, I thought it'd be important just to explore just for a few minutes how a disciple of Jesus begins their lifelong apprenticeship. Now, we often associate the word baptism with that beginning. Now, the word baptism, again, is one of those words which has been transliterated from the Greek, baptismo, but it's a word that simply means immersion. So it's mostly associated with water, not always. Mostly associated with some ceremony that we'd call baptism, but not always, again. When someone becomes a Christian, there's a symbol of baptism, and it's used to point to what is going on spiritually. Have a listen to how the Apostle Paul speaks about it in Romans chapter 6. Therefore, we were buried with him by immersion or baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. 
So when someone chooses to turn and give their life to Jesus, when they accept his forgiveness offered in his death, it involves this thing called a repentance, a turning away from an old way of life, an unlearning, and it involves faith, a turning towards, a trusting, seeking to be transformed by and learning from the master. So then what is a disciple? And here's a little bit of a thought experiment about how to think about being a disciple at St Mark's. I want you to visualise. If I ask you, and I'm not going to ask you to do this, all right, imagine if I brought a bunch of these and, <laughs> and I wrote kind of Christ or Christian or something like that, and you had to wear this around your neck and around your back, right, for the rest of how long? Your life. That's right. Now, when you get on your L's, I think it's a good parallel. When you get on your L's, right, it's a good parallel for learning. What do you, not many people, when they get their L's, they're, they're happy that they get their L's. It involves learning a body of content, so you've got to go and um, go to wherever it is, the RTA, and pass the L's test, but that's not actually what it's about. You, you're actually putting that content into practice. And, where, and how do you do it? You're next to a, you can't be, <laughs> you don't leave the side of the instructor. You're not legally allowed to drive a car with your L plates on without someone who is teaching you how to drive. The other thing I think why this is a great example is when you're on your L's, as much as um, you might be kind of glad you got your L's, not many people kind of wear their L plates as a badge of pride. <laughs> you know, go, oh, I'm on my L's, <laughs> driving around. Maybe when you're on your P's, maybe, but when you're on your L's, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, right, I'm on my L's, I'm learning. Be patient with me. I'm just trying to learn how to turn and, you know, all these kind of things. If we thought of ourselves as L plates, Christians, and not just when you're doing the Alpha course or the Beta course or these kind of your first few years, but for the rest of your life, how would that just transform the way that you think about coming to church, think about home groups, think about everything? It's quite, it's a very different, isn't it? It removes us from being static. When you're on your L's, you're moving towards something, right? It's, it's humble. You're hum- you, you, you don't think you're the expert. A disciple is a lifelong L-plater, a forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. A forgiven sinner who is learning Christ in repentance and faith. Let's pray. Father, we give you great thanks that you have sent your son to us and you have given us him and that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. We ask that you'll help us to know what it means to be lifelong learners, people who are on our L plates, unlearning all our very strongly held habits. Help us to, by the power of your spirit, to let them go as we see the joy in growing to be more and more like your son. We ask that you be doing this in our lives as as individuals and as a community. Help us not to be yoked to the things of this world, but to be yoked to your son. Amen.
A lot to think about. It's a great sermon. I would encourage you, I know you're not meant to say this at the end, but I would encourage you if there's anything in the sermon today that raised <laughs> anything that you'd like to talk about, get some support with, learn more about, have a chat with Luke um, or Abe, who's over here with us, our youth minister. Don't just leave it. And there's some fantastic courses coming up too. But um, yeah, I'm a self-confessed L plater for life and I'm sure many of us feel the same way. But for now, let's stand and sing about our great God who's done so much for us. <laughs>